Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast, this time reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from May 21st, 1983, taped on May 11th, 1983 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again, and joining me as he does each and every week from Booking the Territory, the star of Booking the Territory. Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. I won't bring up the pizza thing again like last week. Uh, I'll just leave that alone, even though you're wrong and I'm right. We'll just let it go, right? We'll agree to disagree, even though I'm right and you're wrong. But anyway, I'm doing good, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have that so we don't do another seven minutes on pizza <laughs> on this week's show. Well, you want to argue about burgers? Because I think cheese belongs on a burger personally, but <laughs> we can have that argument today. I'm just kidding, man. It's uh, going to be another fun week. May 21st, 1983. Uh, Mid South Wrestling. We got some. We got some. Uh, I said last week. You know, we we're kind of. I thought we were in a bit of a holding pattern. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but we got some good things that happened this week, and there's something surprising that happens, and we'll get to that as we get into this show. And um, there's a note that I have that you. It's 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 a soundbite that you'll play, but there's something in that soundbite that I bet you you don't know, and I'm gonna make that point as we get into this week's episode, and once we get to it. I'm curious to find out what that is, but let's go to the show open. I have to say, before we play this audio, I think the guys are wearing the same outfits they wore on the previous week's show. It's the same TV taping. But Cowboy Bill Watts took off his blazer, and he's wearing maybe the ugliest shirt I've ever... It's almost like a Philadelphia Phillies uniform that's been dulled in the washing machine. He has, like, racing stripes on his arms and his shoulders... And then a purple, uh, not purple, but a brown tie, it appears, on this blue shirt with Philly colors. You see what I'm talking about? Yes, I'm glad you said it. I was going to wait until you played the soundbite. I was going to say, what the heck is Bill? What, was that a fashion thing in the 80s that we just don't remember? I, I don't recall seeing shirts like that. But he's Cowboy Bill Watts, the owner of Mid-South Wrestling, so I guess he kind of does what he wants. But that was awkward, that shirt and tie combination. You're right. It the stripes down from the neck to the sides with the shoulder. It's like, what do you what is that? I, I don't recall ever do you ever recall seeing shirts like that during this time? Only on the Philadelphia Phillies in the early nineteen eighties. <laughs> with the racing because that's what it is. It's the racing stripes that Major League Baseball uniforms had throughout the eighties. But it's on I mean, it's short sleeves, it's not even a long sleeve shirt, but it's on his shirt. And he has a tie on. It just, it looks so weird. It's such a weird and bad choice of clothing here. Terrible, man. It's so, it's terrible. First off, um, I I hate dress shirts that are short sleeve. Like, and and this is coming from someone in the South that grew up in a human environment. But I feel like if you're going to wear a dress shirt, a button up, just make it long sleeve. I mean, it is what it is. I the the whole short sleeve dress shirt I never got and that was a thing for so he's got that going already and then he's got these like you described the racing stripes down the side with a with a, a poo poo colored you know tie it's just what what what's going on here Bill what what are we doing here anyway maybe he's trying to um, uh, you know one up uh, Boyd Pierce here I don't know but it's terrible well let's go to the show open right now Boyd Pierce with Cowboy Bill Watts. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and we have a lot of excitement for you. Tag team action. You're going to see the Super Destroyer and his partner, Tony Zale, as they take on the popper combination of the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Butch Reed. 
another wild battle. Hacksaw Jim Duggan will be in the ring against a rugged Canadian star who made his debut here last week, Butcher Paul Vichon. We have a lot of exciting action coming up, and to tell you about it, our guest commentator, a man who needs no introduction to any of us in professional wrestling, Cowboy Bill Watts. Bill. Well, thank you, Boyd. We just had some news that the San Gui Teen Club voted the Junkyard Dog over Michael Sphinx as a man they would most like to have at their big event at the Rivergate. And I understand that Grizzly Smith and the officials at Mid-South are trying to adjust his schedule so that he can be there. But that's a great honor, and that just shows you the tremendous pride and the and the accolades that have come to the Junkyard Dog because he always gives his all for the people. And we've got a great family in wrestling, the Von Erich family, and in the 16th of April at the Superdome, they wrestled the Freebirds, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts. Let's watch the edited highlights of that great event as David Von Erich made his debut in New Orleans with his brother, Kerry, who had flown in all the way from Tokyo, Japan that very day. Well, before we get to that match, Mike, Junkyard Dog, this is two weeks in a row that Junkyard Dog either won something from a school or a boys club or has been invited somewhere. Any thoughts on this one? I, I almost feel like he was off of TV, and but Bill Watts didn't want people to forget about him, so he kind of mentioned him. So he mentions, like last week, the school that he was supposed to visit, but he couldn't make it because of a scheduling conflict. And now he brings up the fact that JYD was voted by this team club, the most likely man they'd have at the at at this event, and he name drops Michael Spinks, the the you know the the boxer. I just feel like Watts was just trying to show that his talent right here is even bigger than this world-known boxer, Michael Spinks. So I, I that that was what I took from that. But I think that's the takeaway from it. He's just trying to put over dog. Coming out of that, we go to the Superdome from April 16th, 1983. We get clips of the Freebirds, Gordy and Roberts versus David and Kerry Von Erich. During the match, Bill Watts talks about the fact that the Von Erichs want a shot at DiBiase and Olympia for the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team titles. Any thoughts on this match, Mike? Again, it's shot from ringside, single camera, a dark Superdome. What are your thoughts? Uh, the only thoughts I have is, you know, what's what you said. He mentions that they want a shot at the at the tag team titles, but he also he puts over. He, I, I'm I'm guessing in my timeline here. Yeah, I would have already already known what he's about to say or what he says when he talks about how you know Kerry is a discus champion. He mentions David being a basketball star. Yeah, I'd kind of known all that from. I I, sh I feel like I should have known all that already from the world class TV. But you know, he just talks about how they're they're an up and coming tag team, and he puts them over as you know quote unquote. I guess we call them real athletes with being the discus and, and basketball uh, champions and whatnot. So I thought it was good. And I've said this a million times, but it's always good to see shots from the Superdome shows, even though it's just a one shot from the floor and it's very dark. You really can't see a lot of things uh, with the with the old footage. So you, you really can't see what's going on all the way. It's kind of hard to make things out at times, but I still think it's fun to, to see these things whenever they show these clips from the Superdome. It's great watching these clips, too. You realize that there aren't any young guys today who have the fire of Kerry Von Erich and even David Von Erich, a little some of the small things he does whether it's arguing with the referee or just they're so good for guys that are so young. Obviously, they grew up around the business. They broke in pretty young. But you go look at Kerry Von Erich there and find a guy in the business today who's that age, who has that kind of look, and is that much of a natural in the ring at this point in 1983. And, he, and even though he's still young, it's important to point out, though, too, in 83, he's, he's pretty seasoned considering how much they worked 
even early on in their careers. And I mean, David had been David had kind of already been around too at this point too. But I mean, Kerry 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 was good, man. Uh, the demons got him, but Kerry Kerry was Kerry was very good, man. It's a uh, you know sad ending, obviously. Don't want to rehash it here, but. You're right, man. He looks really good in the ring, and and this is from a like one shot from the floor. You watch some of those world, old world classes with Kerry when he was on it. He was on it. David and Kerry win the match, and then we get another match from the Superdome, and this kind of makes sense in the general scheme of things because it sets up the next match on the show from the Superdome. King Kong Bundy defeating Tim Horner once again, April sixteenth, nineteen eighty three. Any thoughts or notes about this, Mike? No thoughts or notes from it only because I'm going to have, you know, something more in a second with our next match involving Tim Horner. Bundy, I guess you could say he dominated Horner. Other than that, I don't I don't really have anything from it. They do put over Horner on commentary that he's a young up-and-comer and he's showing a lot. And that leads into the next match. Kendo Nagasaki, the Black Ninja with General Skandar Akbar versus Tim Horner. Alfred Neely, the referee. Let's go to some audio here from Cowboy Bill Watts, and this will cover the finish as well. Akbar looking on as the general, the man with his tentacles everywhere. You wonder what's going on in his mind. What's going on in the mind of Ted DiBiase, of Mr. Olympia? Mid-South Wrestling is one of the most exciting events Really with a glow of pride as I meet fans all over the country and they give the accolades to Mid-South. And, you know, talking to Johnny Rich just prior to this, he said, you know, Atlanta goes off up on the satellite and beams into more area than Mid-South wrestling. But he said the insiders, the guys in wrestling, the guys that compete, they all talk about if you want to make your mark and be known over the world, you've got to come and establish yourself in Mid-South because it has the toughest competition and the toughest athletes in wrestling in the whole world. Consistency level. Fantastic. Good judo technique there. He took the hip lock and did the leg reap. Kicked the man out. You youngsters watching that, even though you see some of the things you can't use in amateur, you can also see some of the skill levels from these guys as they as they elevate the guy and, and, and put the pressure to him and then reap through. Farms flying out there now. Tim Horner is throwing those forearms. He's got Kendo Nagasaki, a little groggy. Like Kendo raked across the eyes there. I couldn't tell, Boyd. Horner slid under. Horner caught him. Horner caught him with an inside cradle. Tim Horner caught him with an inside cradle. Look at that crowd. What a victory for young Tim Horner and Kendo Nagasaki. Can't believe it happened, and neither can Skandar Akbar. But the pinnacle is there, and Tim Horner is br- way up high with excitement with the victory. We'll be back after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there it is, a surprise victory. Tim Horner rolling up Kendo Nagasaki. He almost missed his head when he rolled him up. But you could hear the reaction of the fans and Cowboy Bill Watts. This is put over as a pretty significant moment. The fans react to it the way you would hope they would. What are your thoughts on all this, Mike? You know, as I was, I didn't remember Horner beating Kendo here, like as I rewatched this. So as I'm watching it, like in my initial notes, I'm like, man, Horner's putting up a fight here. He, there's, he's not just laying down for Kendo. And I thought that was, imp- 
something to make note of because, you know, I think of when Kendo came in and, you know, the whole thing with JYD, if you remember with them squaring off. And so Kendo was essentially in a feud with JYD and, and he's, you know, stalk, I guess stalking him and, you know, he's doing that whole ceremonial thing that Watts put over before the matches. And, you know, JYD at one point, they're squaring off and JYD's uh, teasing, hitting him with the chain. He's like, what's going on with this guy? So we go from that all the way to, you know, the people, they hate Akbar. They probably don't hate Kendo, but they hate Kendo because of the association with Akbar and his oil money is what I'm getting at. So when Horner pins him, it was such a shock rewatching it. And then you see how it, how much it meant because the fan, the fans are just sitting there. I mean, there's yeah, some of them are clapping, but you know, when Horner hits him with that inside cradle and pins him, the fans go from just sitting down watching a match that they, you know, have seen before, you know, with an enhancement talent to holy crap, this guy just beat Kendo. You see, there's a there's an old lady in the front with her, with her purse. She jumps up. She's like, oh, wow. And then you see the fans in the stands. They jump up and they're clapping. Lots of surprise here. And I guess that's a good thing. You know, you always want to keep the fans uh, shocked in a way. You want them to see something that they didn't expect. And by God, you, you certainly did it here when Kendo – uh, hits him with that inside cradle, man. It was pretty impressive to see Horner beat Kendo Nagasaki here unexpectedly, whether it was on TV back then, watching it now, or seeing the fans' reaction to it. I, again, a heck of a surprise, and Tim Horner gets a nice ovation and a big, big win. Coming out of that, we get our next match. Johnny Rich versus Tony Torres, Rick Ferreira as the referee. They talk it up on commentary like this is Johnny Rich's first time in Mid-South Wrestling. We talked about it last week. It isn't. But they also talk on commentary a little bit more about Tim Horner's big victory and some other stuff. Let's play this audio. We'll talk about it on the other side. I'm still sure that the whole crowd is buzzing and elation as Tim Horner upset. And without a doubt, it was an upset. He upset the Black Ninja. And I want to remind all the youngsters that watch that, you know, when you when you got the skills and you perfected them and worked them, you can't be afraid to throw them. And Tim Horner was in a lot of trouble there, and he changed levels and went low and forced the man off balance into that inside cradle and got him for that three count. And I think that's a lesson to everybody that I don't care who they are, if you get the, if you put the skills to them in the proper manner, they're going to react to it. I also would like to thank two good friends of mine, Bobby Stites, the high school wrestling coach at Bixby, Oklahoma, and Jim Shields uh, for a clinic they conducted at Brother Martin High School in New Orleans before the Superdome. And Ray Charbonneau, the fine coach down there, had a great turnout, and I think everybody was excited and enjoyed it. My two youngsters went down there, and they wanted to see the Superdome. They went to the clinic, Micah and Eric. And, of course, Lindsey William, the chairman of the Louisiana State Athletic Commission, his son was a state champion in Louisiana wrestling this year. Uh, he was undefeated. He was there. It was a great turnout. It's great to see the kids. It's always good to go around the schools and, and uh, have their kids ask about the top stars and their favorites. Well, there we hear it, Mike. It's always great to see the kids. Always great to see the kids, as Watt said. And I'm going to educate on educate you on something here, Brian. So. That high school I'm very familiar with uh, because I went there. <laughs> that's where I, that's where I graduated from. 
um, many, many moons ago. And he mentions the clinic being held at Brother Martin High School in New Orleans. Uh, very, I guess, well-known high school. I don't know how my mom afforded it. Actually, I do kind of know how she afforded it. There's this, uh, there's this thing called uh, grants and scholarships that you can get because it is a very expensive high school to attend. But anyway, um, great high school. And let me tell you a little history about Brother Martin when it comes to uh, state wrestling titles. They have won since the 1978 and 79 school year, 20 state titles since that time. They have had numerous runs of state wrestling titles, 80 through through 87. They won a a bunch straight Um, 98 through 2003. They won a bunch straight. And I think since 2006, if uh, if my research was correct from 2006 until now, 2019, 20, I believe they are the reigning state champions in Louisiana. And that is 5A right now Uh, back then or many years ago, like in the 90s, it would have been 4A. I can't remember when they made the move to 5A. So very, very uh, prestigious when it comes to state titles. Um, I, I did not wrestle for Brother Martin, uh, amateur wrestle, that is. Um, but uh, they 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 really do do a good job with their amateur wrestling program. It's um, a really, really, really well-run program. Obviously, they haven't had the same coach over that time, but uh, lots and lots of state titles. So, you know, when Watts talks about the clinic held there, um, I don't know. I guess it just doesn't surprise me. I did not remember this or do not remember hearing this originally when I watched this back in the day either. So... If it's a high school you have to pay to go to, is there a big recruiting program for top wrestlers from around Louisiana? Honestly, I don't really know. Um, I can't really answer that. I would imagine back many, many years ago, there wouldn't have been. However, with, with the way things are now where younger athletes are noticed much younger than normal. I mean, we hear things about in colleges where basketball programs, football programs, I mean, they're offering scholarships, uh, colleges to, you know, freshmen and sometimes even younger than that, eighth graders, seventh graders. I would imagine now you may have some of that. However, I don't know about, you know, in the older days, it just feels like now you would see that a lot more. I just don't know if you'd have seen it back then. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Also making sense, Johnny Rich wins with an inside cradle over Tony Torres. And then we get our next Another cradle. Another cradle. Two <laughs> matches in a row, actually. Right. That's That was my note that I had. I wanted to mention that. Our next match, Junkyard Dog teaming up on TV for the first time with Hacksaw Butch Reed against Super Destroyer and Tony Zane, or as Boyd Pierce put it at the opening of the show, Tony Zale. Any thoughts or notes about this match, Mike? Um, you know, we finally, see, I was trying to remember how long has it been since we've seen JYD? Cause it feels like ever since we, we've, we've had like the, what's going on with Duggan happen. We haven't really seen much of JYD. So I was trying to like do them and I, I didn't go back and look, I never go back and look. I just try to do it off of memory. I was trying to remember the last time we've even seen him, but you know, it just feels a while. It was, it was good to see JYD and Butch Reed in this match. It was good to see them do their thing together. Uh, the only big note I had and not sure if you wanted to play it or not is Man, that finish where Butch Reed comes flying off the top rope with that shoulder to to the Super D, holy crap, man. I've said it before. Butch Reed can deliver that move like no one. It just looks devastating as that big body flies through the air. So that was the main thing I had from it. Um, It was kind of competitive, too, of a match. I mean, it really wasn't like a quick match. They didn't – Butch Reed and JYD didn't dominate uh, Super D and Tony Zane. It it went for a little while, but really, really nice finish at the end. I was trying to figure out why Alfred Neely allowed off the top rope, but we'll let that one slide, right? Well, Butch Reed wasn't the legal man in the ring. Well, there you go. But still, wouldn't that be a DQ? 
it should be. Well, let's play some audio. We'll talk about any other side. This will give us a chance to check it out one more time. Hold on. I won't call that a forearm. Oh, Super D. Trip JYD from outside there. Zane wisely tagging as Super D caught JYD rocking back to set with that flipper, that forearm, and Super D's pounding away on him. Super D calling for help with Zane, but the referee ends up Zane, and JYD got in his corner and <laughs> attempted the tag. I don't know. I didn't ever see it. Whoa, Reed, what the help did JYD in? Super D got out of the way, and the junkyard dog caught all of Butch Reed's power fly to the air. And now he set him up, but JYD came to his partner's aid. JYD came to his aid. Now the Thumper's got Zane up, but look at Reed up on top, and Reed flies across the ring with a slingshot. What a dynamic duel! How do you like your action? Well, you can see how the crowd likes it. There's a tremendous tag team bout, won by the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Butch Reed. We have more action when we return on Mid South Wrestling Television Network. I guess with Butch Reed coming off the top rope, you could argue that Alfred Neely didn't clearly see it. Even though he was facing that direction, he was watching the dog thump Tony Zane and immediately went down for the pin. If you wanted to make the argument, um, yeah, I guess you could. I guess you could say that. And you're you did make a good point. Technically, Reed and I, I should have thought about this. He's not the legal man, so I guess Neely could also say, "Well, I let that slide because of that." But you're right. Even though they did tag, he did. Butch Reed and JYD did tag. It just so as Alfred Neely didn't see it, and then chaos ensues, and all four guys are in the ring. So, no, I mean, I guess that's part of it, too. And, you know, I will say this. Watts usually covers for things like that. He'll say, you know, the referee uh, – he doesn't say call an audible. He said the referee uses uh, – uh, what the heck's the word I'm looking for? Um, he uses his own judgment there and, and goes, oh, okay, well, no, no, I, I'm just making making sense out of what's going on here. I can't, I can't call that a DQ. So maybe that's what – Maybe that's what Alfred Neely was doing. But I say, even though I say that, God, what a flying shoulder tackle off the top rope when he hit the Super D with it. Oh, my God, that was beautiful. Coming out of that match, we got our next match. Ted DiBiase with General Skandar Akbar in a Rat Pack jacket versus Ron Ellis, Rick Ferreira as the referee. I don't have any notes here, Mike, other than Ted DiBiase wins with his power slam. Any thoughts or notes? Uh, same thing. Teddy Biasi wins. There's not much else to talk about. Coming out of that match, we get something built up from last week's show. Hacksaw Duggan versus Butcher Vashon with General Skandar Akbar. Alfred Neely as the referee. We'll talk about this on the other side. Let's play some audio of the match and the finish here, Mike. In the red corner at 252 pounds from Montreal, Canada... And in the ring, the General Skandor Akbar, Butcher Vashon. Here he comes. Coming into the ring at... I don't think he needs introduction, boys. You better ring it, because war has begun out there. Hacksaw Dugan, who wants to get his hands on Skandor Akbar. He undressed Akbar some three weeks ago here at our show... All of a sudden, almost gained an R rating there because Akbar just about had every stitch torn off of him, and he's seething, and there's something going on when Butcher Vashon shows up all the way from Montreal, Canada. 
that Hacksaw Dugan, he doesn't care. This man has no regard for his own personal safety, and he's hollering at Akbar. He wants Akbar in there. And Bashan's decided that things are a little hot in the kitchen. He's going to get out and see if he can't get this man slowed down. But Hacksaw Dugan's kind of like perpetual motion. He's a riot, always ready to happen. I don't know what the time record is on getting into the ring, Bill, but General Skandor Akbar set one getting out of the ring when he saw Duggan heading for the squared circle. Well, Akbar's a cagey, wily veteran. He knows when to cut his losses and run, and he's just not going to take it. He tries to use his bankroll to buy a lot of people to buffer him and get between he and the people he wants. Strange thing is Kamala. The Ugandan warrior who's in Dallas and many of the areas in the south. And I'm sure if Akbar feels the need, he's going to pull the top man in his stable back to try to take the measure of Hacksaw Dugan. Paul Vachon, Montreal, Canada, of the Vachon family. Mad Dog Vachon, one of the rugged guys in wrestling. Their sister, Vivian, was a tough one. There goes a spear. Whoa, whoa. Alfred Neely, watch Akbar from behind, but Dugan saw him. Alfred Neely was crushing that spear. Dugan is after Akbar. He's going to big cheese. He's going for the tights to load up the glove, but Dugan caught him before he could load it up. Dugan caught him and has run him into the turnbuckle. But Akbar, now the shot gets him behind. Akbar stealing that steel chair in there. DiBiase, whoa! You can hear that over here. As DiBiase swung, but Dugan, Dugan's going to try to take DiBiase's head off. DiBiase, oh! Dugan is going to get a medal for moving furniture, I can tell you. He's moving furniture like United Van Lines out there. Alfred Neely back in the ring, but I've had plenty of time to go from here and count him out, Bill. DiBiase got out of there by the skin of his head, I'll guarantee you. Listen to that crowd chat. Dugan, Dugan, Dugan. They want him to take DiBiase apart. And we'll be back. We still have more time remaining and more action coming up after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there it is, Mike. Hacksaw Duggan beating Butcher Vashon after hitting him with a chair. After Ted DiBiase hit him with a chair after Duggan got out of the way. Any thoughts or notes about all this? Obviously, you know, we've said this about a few things on the show, but specifically here, the fans are super into Jim Duggan. You could hear the Duggan chant. It's pretty loud there at the very end because they're so excited about him. He is he's so hot during this time period. Like he even from start to finish, I mean, he comes in the ring, he he's on fire. He's not waiting for the intro. Reese Bowden, poor thing, he almost gets run over as Duggan's about going after Vashawn. And then it leads into uh, you know, DiBiase getting involved. DiBiase can't get the glove loaded quick enough. Duggan's fighting him. You know, I was about to say Duggan, like uh, Watts and the fans, but Duggan's fighting him back. You know, the the chair shot where DiBiase goes to hit Duggan but misses him and hits Vashon because Duggan ducks. To then we see in DiBiase rolling out and then Duggan hitting Vashon again and then pinning him. Just really good stuff. And then that very last, you know, I guess ten seconds of what you played or so when the fans. After after Duggan fought off, you know, basically three guys, if you consider Akbar, DiBiase, and Vashon right there, he fights off three people, gets the win, the fans, the Duggan chance, the Irish McNeil is on fire. I mean, they are they are totally invested in this guy at this point in time. It is incredible how over he is. And he's just like 
you know, you hear the term man of the people. He's just a man of the people, man. He is the guy, you know, people can relate to a, when people can relate to a baby face, that's when they're over. And every single fan of mid South at this point could pretty much relate to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And he just seemed like, you know, you know how Steve Austin was like the working man and cursing the boss out. It's almost like Duggan was that during his time period in mid South. And, and I know people go, Oh my God, how can you make that comparison? I'm not saying he was Austin. What I'm saying is it, it, it was, they, there are some parallels to the character. It's not like Duggan's going after the boss here. Like, like Austin went after McMahon, but it's just the whole, he's like a man of the people. He's a, he's a big dude. There's nothing pretty about him. There's nothing. I mean, he's not one of these handsome baby faces. Like you would think of a Ricky Morton or, you know, Tommy Rogers or Bobby Fulton that was over in that way. He's a rugged dude that is not taking anything. And he's going to beat the heck out of this, you know, Arab with the oil money and, and his, his cronies that he's got involved with him. Just, I can't put over Duggan enough here. And you can see the audience reaction. It's white, it's black, it's young, it's old, it's female, it's male. Everyone is taking to Jim Duggan right now in Mid-South Wrestling. And they're doing it the right way. Bill Watts is getting him over the right way. And coming out of that, we get our last match. Mr. Olympia versus Jerry Caldwell with Rick Ferreira as the referee. Let's hear a little bit of audio from Cowboy Bill Watts about Mr. Olympia. Caldwell being introduced, and across the ring, General Skandor Akbar in with Mr. Olympia. Akbar really coming to the ring a lot, Bill. He's really enlarging that stable of his. Well, I'll tell you, Akbar is just frustrated right now because he really wants to get a Dugan, and he's just been unable to do it. And there's Mr. Olympia out there, one half of the Mid-South Tag Team Championship, as JYD calls him the tippy-toe bandit because of his double-crossing, sneaky ways, and the way he also put the reign of terror on Wrestling 2 and was trying to intimidate 2 and, and the unknown, the jealousy, the rage the, that must be in this man, Mr. Olympia, for the attack he made on 2, and 2 almost uncovered it for all of us here on Mid-South, and yet we didn't believe it because we couldn't believe that Mr. Olympia would be that way, but... When it all came out in Olympia, even in New Orleans that night, that he thought he had won the North American title in the $10,000, he admitted to everybody that it was him and that he was after the dog. Mid-South in a landmark decision, held up the $10,000 and the North American title, and in a surprise maneuver, something never had before been done and unadvertised, when they came to the Superdome, they had won the Mid-South Tag Titles the week before. They had to go in and defend them since that was what was designed, was signed. And then he had to go in against JYD, and Mid-South surprised everybody by making it a steel cage match. Two minutes of airtime left. Fantastic events today. Next week, the Mexican superstar Mil Moscas. Don't miss him. Fantastic man. Great athlete. A lot of class. Charlie Cook, an All-American from Grambling, formerly played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. El Gran Marcus. Tom Jones returns. Been a long time since I've seen Tom wrestle. And, of course, that great young superstar, Tito Santana. Well, there we heard a little bit about what's coming up next week on the show and also about Mr. Olympia and his turning on the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Wrestling 2. He ends up winning with a sleeper hold with seconds left in the program. Any thoughts or notes about this final match, Mike? 
No, I don't have anything. I thought, you know, it was pretty good for Watts to, you know, mention and be basically recapped everything that's gone on with Olympia. That was, I say I didn't have anything. That, that was the main thing I had from it, though. Uh, nothing much. Olympia wins. You, you knew he was going to win. Uh, I, he's in there against Jerry Caldwell. It's not like he's going to do anything special. So watch just kind of, you know, recap and telling the story of what's going on with Olympia, how we've gotten to where we're at as we were in uh, May 21st of 1983. With that, we wrap up another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. Also on Facebook, Facebook.com slash ArcadianVanguard. You can listen to me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you in booking the territory? Give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I'd appreciate it there. I post out clips of the shows that Brian and I discussed or discuss um, weekly. Also, uh, come check out Booking the Territory at tinyurl.com slash bttpod. We have a lot of fun. We're the unprofessional wrestling podcast for a reason. The jokes are terrible. Uh, language is strong, and it's not politically correct, but we enjoy talking old-school classic wrestling there. So give us a shout and give us a listen there. Again, it's tinyurl.com slash bttpod or just search Book in the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. Brian, another fun week in the books, and we got somebody important coming in in the next week. I'll just leave it at that. That'll be our tease as we go into the next episode. That's a heck of a tease. You'll have to wait till next week to find out who that is, but the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!